Welcome to Quick Brain, bite-sized brain hacks for busy people who want to learn faster and achieve more. I'm your coach, Jim Quick. Free your mind. Let's imagine if we could access 100% of our brain's capacity. I wasn't high, wasn't wired, just clear. I knew what I needed to do and how to do it. I know Kung Fu. Show me. Welcome back, Quick Brain. So your question of the day is this. How do you keep your mind sharp and really reduce mental fatigue? We've all had this situation where we're overloaded, we're overwhelmed, we don't have the mental fortitude or the energy to get through our day. And I couldn't be happier today because we have a very special guest, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Thank you for being on our show. Honored. You know, when we have seen each other, um, everyone knows you You have your show, you have your podcast, you, you do all these amazing projects, you travel the world, I've seen you in different countries. How do you keep mentally sharp? I mean, how do you, do you ever get mentally fatigued and tired? What was the question again? <laughs> yeah, of course I do. I, I think anybody who has to work their brain, like exercising, lifting weights, playing a sport, you'll get fatigued and there's an optimal place you want to be with working your mind. And that for me is one of the secrets. I do not work my mind 24 seven. Mm. I'm very disciplined, very measured in the time that I let my brain go. And I think it's one of the biggest secrets I can share with listeners. You know, I try not to make decisions in the morning, okay. except the ones that are important. Interesting. And I started looking into this more as I was trying to figure out why is it that we overeat in the afternoon? Why do we sabotage ourselves certain times of the day more than others? The value of circadian rhythms and an optimal function of the body. And that all, by the way, can be hacked, which we'll talk about in a second with the foods you eat, how you sleep, et cetera. But at its very core, there are some basic there's some principles. And one of the ones that was always stunned me, I'll never forget reading it for the first time. I was looking at the incidence of paroles being granted by judges. They may say, why, why, what does that have to do with the price of eggs? Well, the reality is giving someone a parole takes a lot of effort. It's a lot of brain power to think through the fact that you're going to release someone who did something bad, who could do harm to society. So judges have to do their homework to let someone go free ahead of the initially scheduled release date. We find out as we look at this, and researchers have done this in several settings now, that less paroles are granted in the afternoon. What's the takeaway here? Well, first off, if you're going to do a crime, go for parole in the morning. But for the rest of us, the insight that we don't want to make decisions, because that's what mm-hmm. the judge not granting parole is really doing. He's just avoiding a decision, uh, is something that happens more commonly in the afternoon. And so what do you do to make decisions? You eat, and you eat carbs mm. specifically. So the bewitching hour, four, five, six in the afternoon, which many listeners have experienced, where you do so well for the beginning of the day, but by four o'clock, you have to eat whatever's near you. You're going to go you know, raging through vending machines, just finding something with carbs in it. Uh, and you're not eating a high-protein meal then. You're eating something with – and the reason is sugar turns your brain on. It, it allows your brain to do processing when it's beyond exhausted. So here's how I live my day. I get up roughly the same time every day because I value the circadian rhythm power that I mentioned earlier. And I know that getting up the same time every day is one of the best ways to make sure you'll get a full night's sleep. Go to, you know, count back seven and a half hours from your waking up time. For me, it's if I get up at 6, 10.30 in the evening, I've got to get to bed. Mm-hmm. But because I've trained myself, I know I'll get my seven and a half hours, which remains the single most powerful thing you, to, you can do to be energized, but also have chi, have life force, right. have the ability to be creative. Because I don't want to work hard alone. I want to work smart and hard. That's how I'll do the best. And I can't be creative when I'm not rested. That's why I still practice medicine, but I don't take call anymore. 
Mm. And when I was training as a resident, I could never understand why they beat us up so badly. The thought was, hey, listen, if you don't sleep, you'll instinctively make the right decisions. But what it really does is take away your creativity. You come up with better ways of doing what has been done before, which is why so much in medicine is rote. It's just behind the times because innovation is stamped out by being fatigued the entire time, trying to save people's lives, granted, but doing it inefficiently. So back to my modern life. Get up at six. I don't eat anything in the morning. I maybe have a glass of water or some lemon juice, which is an old Ayurvedic technique of getting your intestines going. I don't want to eat anything because I'm not hungry, not because there's some magic benefit to it, but most of you aren't hungry either when you first wake up. You get hungry after you've gotten to work, after you've gotten a couple of things done, et cetera. I don't even drink coffee because I don't feel like I need it. Uh, but if you do need coffee, you don't need it when you first get up. You, you need it, you know, get your shower, you brush your teeth, get in the car, whatever you're going. One, two, three hours later, you can have your coffee, which is a bit of a dishonest way of getting energy because you're really withdrawing your own energy from your energy banks and giving it to your brain. And then somewhere in that mid-morning, I'll have my breakfast, and I usually have something with, the, with the rich antioxidant levels. Blueberries are an example. They're nicknamed brain berries, but mm-hmm. you can have whatever, I have raspberries, anything you want, but it's got to have the natural colors that nature force those fruits and vegetables to have to protect themselves from the oxidant effect of the sun. That's why the colors of the rainbow are reflected in the healthy fruits and vegetables. And then I'm off doing shows, and I'm very meticulous in getting with people I trust. Now, why is that so important? Well, it's self-evident if you're playing on a team, if your teammates are trustworthy, you'll do better. But there's more to it than that. I don't want to take my brain power, which I know I only have a limited amount of life force, Mm -hmm energy that I can extract from it, creative energy. I want to let other people do what they're good at creatively so I can do what I'm good at creatively. So if I try to do the director's job, which I will kiddingly try to do, or the lighting person's job, or the cameraman who's getting the perfect angle, or the woman who's doing the styling, or my producer who's much better generally at figuring out what should be next in the show than I could ever predict, you want to let them do their work so that I can do my work more effectively. So yes, I micromanage, all surgeons do. I I care about every little thing that happens, but I don't want to have to decide what happens. I want to be able to judge so next time it's even better. So we organize it in a way that allows me to do a post-mortem after every show. So I sit down with the team after the program, not in the middle of it, not when I'm distracted, and say, here's three things I would have done differently. What could I have done differently? Similar to what we do in surgery. You don't start second-guessing yourself in the middle of the operation. That's not good for anybody, especially the patient. Right. But when you're done, you want to sit down with the anesthesiologist and the nursing team and your rest of your surgeons and say, here's, you know, the guy didn't do so well. What could I have done differently? What could I have done better? And then I basically repeat that through the day to the different things that I'm effectively focused on so I have enough energy to get through the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the final thing I'll say to, to the issue of, of, of memory and staying t- tuned is I don't want friction. Well-oiled machines that are streamlined. Elegant athletes don't waste a lot of motion running left and right when they want to run forward. So I don't want to have friction in my life. It, it doesn't mean I'm conflict-averse. Quite the opposite. I'll often have the conflict to get it out of the way to fix the problem. Mm. But then once I fix it, I don't want to keep reinventing it and rejudging it day in and day out. I let it let it run and effortlessly see that process of my life take flight so the rest of me can work on the parts that I'm flawed in. And I'm, that's why I'm so careful about my relationships. You know, I, my wife, the best thing I ever did was marry my wife, Lisa. But, you know, 34 years ago, I didn't know that. But I did know that I wanted to have partners that I would be with me. Hopefully, I'd be with them for the rest of our lives. And that's what I try to do when I build these teams. So I forgive mistakes. And I forgive myself for the mess-ups that I, because I outdo everyone else around me. But that allows me to have less friction so I can focus on what really brings value to the world and ultimately to me. 
I love what you said about doing the hard things, that you're not conflict adverse, because a lot of people, they avoid and they procrastinate. They put things off. They don't want to have that conversation because it's difficult. It's been my experience that if we're always doing the easy things all the time, which really is putting things off, then life becomes difficult. But when we do the difficult things, then life becomes a, a whole lot easier. The most powerful word in the English language is no. Yeah. And I was once offered to be an editor of one of our big journals, and I said, no, I, I, I just don't want to do that right now. I've got other things that, are, that I think are more important. And the guy who was the past editor was trying to pass me the baton. I thought he was going to be upset. He's a real icon. I really admired him, uh, still admire him. And he said, you know, I really respect that you said that. And I didn't say anything, which is probably a wise thing to do when you don't know what to say. And he said, the reason I respect you for that is because you recognize to do it right would take a lot of time. Mm. And you'd actually give things up. You needed to give things up to do it. And so I'll, I'm okay with it. And it was gone, finished. Now think about everyone listening right now. How many of you have had efforts and opportunities thrown at you that you probably should have said no to? They weren't on brand. Right. By the way, just to be clear, on brand means that if you if you do it and it works, you're happy you did it. Right. And there's some things you do it and it works, you're not so happy you did it. So you have all these ideas, fantastic opportunities that are off brand. And, you, and you, when you say no, it's finished, it's gone. Mm. You don't have to excuse away why you didn't do it right. Because I always tell my kids how you do anything is how you do everything. Wow. Don't do it half-hearted. If you're going to do it, do it right. But then with great pride, say, what you're asking me to do is too important for me to do a half job at it. Mm. So let's just cut it at the bud right now. Right. And I really want to punctuate what you're saying because this is such an important takeaway for everyone who's listening because how you do anything is how you do everything. And you could do it anything, but you can't do everything at all. And so we talked about what keeps you mentally sharp and not suffer from fatigue. And we, we talked about decision fatigue, where you have your routines because first you create your habits and then your habits create you. And you don't want to waste one of your good decisions on uh. those things. And so what helps you to do that processes, people, surrounding yourself with the right people um, that are you know, exhibiting their own superpowers, you know, and so everyone's right sitting in the right, you know, on the bus and then sitting in the right seats also so you could lead it together. And the other thing besides decision fatigue is this opportunity stress. Well, that's one of the things that really wipes a lot of people out. The more successful you become, the more opportunities to get passed to you. And so learn to say no, because I think everyone should have a, a, a to-do list. You mentioned a lot of things that you do, but also a not-to-do list. Mm-hmm. You know, because those are two powerful words, you know, when you say, you know, I, with two powerful letters, no, and you say no, as they say, to good, so you could say yes to, yes to great, right? <laughs> you know, it builds on itself. You, you create routines that allow you to elevate your game. But I want to add one thing, if I can, to the uh, offering. I think too many of us are failure adverse. Mm. And the reason that we hate failure is we think people won't love us anymore, which is spiritual death. And I actually think we ought to embrace the opportunity to be wrong once in a while. I'll give you the best medical metaphor. Appendectomies. Operation we can do to save people's lives. Children often have the problem. The appendix is a small appendage. It's an organ that's attached to the colon. We never knew what it did before. It probably is important for storing good bacteria. So when you have bad diarrhea, it can repopulate your gut. But things get stuck in it. It can explode. It can kill people, causing fertility, adhesions, but things that scar you for the rest of your life. The appropriate at least when I was training, we didn't have all the, some of the mo- more modern technologies. We knew that we ne- needed to operate 15% of the time inappropriately to get all the cases. 
Because sometimes it's just impossible to tell if they have appendicitis or not. And you'd rather be wrong and take out a normal appendix every once in a while because it's not much downside than be right every single time and be wrong a few. Because the ones that are wrong have a much bigger problem. And so when you presented your results, you'd have to embrace the fact that 15%, not 30%, 15% of the time you're going to be wrong. And you should almost take it as a, as a, as a badge of, uh, of honor. And I'll, I'll never forget, I was presenting a, a complicated series of cases at a medical meeting and an icon in the field got up. And he, in, in medicine, the one person presents his data, then someone gets up behind him who's more seasoned, older, <laughs> and says, Am I, you know, here's what we found when we did what you did, or here's what my experience has been. And this guy got up and said, I have no personal experience with what you're talking about. And I was talking about complications. And everyone began to laugh because of course he did. Because the only person who had no personal experience with complications is someone who didn't operate. Mm-hmm. Any seasoned surgeon is going to have bad things happen. All of our closets have skeletons in the places we wish they didn't do, bad selection, bad outcomes, whatever. But at its very core, you respect the fact that if you're in the game, you're not going to get every shot. Now, I can quote Michael Jordan. I can right. quote coaches I, without getting trite down. This is re- the same theme is reflected over and over again by people who succeed because uh, they know they can't make shots they don't take. Right. Because if, uh, if failure is not an option, then neither is success. Exactly. Nicely yeah. stated. Amazing. I want to challenge everybody at the end of this episode, like we always do. I challenge one of the fastest ways to learn anything is to teach it. Learn with the intention of passing it on to somebody else. And so I would challenge everybody to take a screenshot of this episode, tag Dr. Oz, tag myself, and share your big aha like, what is your big takeaway, something that you're going to do? We know that knowledge is not power. It's potential. It has the potential to be power. It only becomes power when we apply it. So what's one new thing you're going to do because of this episode? And as always, I'll repost some of my favorites. And um, Dr. Oz, thank you so much for being on the show. Jim, it's always a pleasure. Whenever I run into you, you brighten my day. God bless you. Want to double your brain speed and memory power? If you'd like to learn rapidly and get ahead faster, I'd like to give you my brand new Quick Brain Accelerator program. You will discover exactly what I teach my clients to learn, read, and remember anything in half the time. There is no charge. It's my gift to you for being one of our subscribers. That's kwikbrain.com. Growing up struggling with learning challenges from a childhood brain injury, it's been my life's mission to help you have your very best brain so you can win more every single day. Now, want more quick brain? Here are four ways to fast track your results and lock in what you just learned into your long-term memory. Remember fast, F-A-S-T. The F stands for Facebook. You're not alone on this journey. I invite you to join our free private online group. There you can connect with me, your fellow brain lovers, links to resources, and even submit your questions for me to answer in future episodes. Go to quickbrain.com. That's K-W-I-K brain.com. The A stands for apply. Act on what you learned today. Remember, knowledge is not power. It's potential power. It only becomes power when you use it. So use what you just learned. The S stands for subscribe. Don't miss the next episode and other free brain training. And finally, the T stands for teach. You want to learn faster now? The key is to lock it in right away by teaching it to someone else. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. Here's a simple way to do that. Leave a review on iTunes. Leave a review with your biggest takeaway from this episode. You could also post and share this podcast on your social media. It helps us spread our mission of building better, brighter brains. 
And of course, tag us so our team can properly thank you. Hashtag QuickBrain, K-W-I-K Brain. Mine is at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So what does FAST stand for? Facebook, apply, subscribe, teach. I'll see you in our next episode of Quick Brain. Until then, remember, you are faster and smarter than you think. I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you want to go deeper with many of these authors that we have on our podcast, these experts, I want to invite you to join our Quick Success program. This is our monthly lives that I do where I teach something brand new that we haven't taught before, answer your burning questions. And also we have something that people have been requesting for many years, a quick book club. This is your limitless book club where every single month we read a book together, uh, like a book provided by this author. And then we get the author to come online and join us for a one hour uh, share, going deeper in these strategies, how to put them into practice. Uh, I share my five tips for how to memorize things out of these books. Many people want to read a book a month or build up to that. And this would be the program. So if you want to join, just go to quicksuccess.com and get your spot and join us live and get to meet these authors very uh, up close and personal. And uh, back to the episode.